Uh, Romans chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. Again, I want to I give a shout out to Cody and just thank him for preaching. Uh, very capable and, and great material that was communicated already out of Romans chapter 4. Uh, so, you know, we're going to wind out the chapter this morning. Uh, if you haven't been with us, or maybe you're new this morning, we're glad you're here. We, we're going through the entire book of Romans from beginning to end. Uh, and we're anticipating that to probably take us a year and a half to two years, uh, maybe 10 if we get some rabbit trails along the way. Uh, but we like to teach through a book expositionally. Uh, we feel like that's, that's one of the better ways to really communicate God's truth and understand it. The book of Romans for us really is one of the greatest books as a Christian that you can understand because it is the book of doctrine concerning our salvation. Uh, there's so much that we can understand about what Christ did for us uh, the, 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 the treatise, if you will, the legality of our salvation in Christ is really unpackaged and explained by the Apostle Paul through the Spirit of God in the book of Romans. And so uh, just for a refresher, you know, chapters 1, 2, and 3 uh, started us kind of rough because we found that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Romans reveals to all of us that we're all guilty before God. We're guilty because of our sin, whether we're Jewish, whether we're Gentile, the whole world is guilty and without excuse because God has revealed himself through creation, Romans chapter 1. God has revealed himself through conscience, man's conscience, Romans chapter 2. And then God revealed himself through commandment. In other words, there were a group of people that had actual God's words, the Jews in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. And no matter what you had, you had enough to know that there is a God. And, and that knowledge, that manifestation, that revelation that God gave us was enough to make us realize that there is a God in heaven uh, and we should seek him and desire to serve him. Uh, but yet in our sinful nature, we really are hopeless and helpless without Christ. And so beginning in chapter 3, about verse 20, it was, it was really tough teaching the first couple of weeks because, man, it was so negative, you know. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 really are, are paint a picture of our sin that, that that is ugly for us to really receive, but it is the truth. Starting in verse 20, God shifts gears and begins to reveal to us that because of our brokenness and sinfulness, God stepped in and God took action. And, and His righteousness, the righteousness of God, is available in the person of Jesus Christ. And beginning in Romans chapter 3, about halfway through verse 20, we learn that Jesus Christ paid the redemption he was the propitiation for our sin. In other words, we can receive the righteousness of God by faith. And there was a term that was used in Romans chapter 3, it's used again a little bit in Romans chapter 4, called justification, or being justified before God. And, and that word is a really important Bible word because it means when we are justified in Christ, God looks, as, uh, looks at us now just as if we had never sinned. And when you read the, the depravity of our sin in Romans 1, 2, and 3, and then you read about the goodness of God and, and the shed blood of Jesus Christ being the propitiation for our sin, and now God looks at us just as if we had never sinned, well, God is a really good God. And, and, and the blood of Jesus Christ is so amazing because it is able to cleanse us from all of our sin. And, and then we entered into chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago, and Cody did an awesome job introducing us to, to Abraham. And, and Abraham for us is an Old Testament example, a personal example that we can learn from by a man that was justified by faith. He, he had God's righteousness imputed to him by faith and faith alone. It wasn't because, 
of circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant, covenant to the Jew. He was justified before he, he was ever given that, that, that sign or token of God's covenant. He was, he was justified and made right in God by faith long before the law ever came. Abraham, for us, really is a picture of someone that, that is justified freely by faith and faith alone. He receives God right, God's righteousness because he just believes God's word. And, and for us, this morning, the, the title of the message is, Abraham, as we continue, he is the father of the faith. He is the father of faith for us. And so I want to read verses 16 to 25. It's on the screen. If you, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, we got you covered. We got it on the screen. Let me read the text. We'll pray, we'll jump into it, hit a few points, and uh, trust God to give us what we need. Verse 16 says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he, whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which is spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, in other words, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us also. And there's that practical application. It's, it's written for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's pray and get into the text this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for the morning. It is, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Father, we're glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. And Lord, I pray as we study your word, uh, God, that you get all the glory. May your Holy Spirit uh, teach us, uh, communicate, God, uh, exactly what we need to hear from your word as we compare scripture with scripture and Lord, help us to unpack Romans chapter 4 and see Abraham as a great example of someone we can learn from. And Father, I pray every one of us this morning would have an open ear and an open heart to your word and accomplish your kingdom purposes now. We give you the time, we give you the glory, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to talk about Abraham being the father of faith. We're going to, we're going to look at this word uh, that's mentioned a couple of times in this passage called imputed or imputation. And, and, you know, in Romans, I've kind of made a point, and this is not in your notes, but I've kind of made a point. Sometimes when we get to these big words that are Bible words, that are key doctrinal words, we don't need to freak out about it. We need to appreciate that, that God's teaching us something through these words. And so there is a key word called imputed or imputation that we're going to talk about. And that literally just means, the word means that God is going to count something or credit something to your account. He is going, it's an accounting word. He's going to account something or number something to your account. That word impute or imputed is found six times in Romans chapter 4. Six times in Romans chapter 4. It's found seven times in the book of Romans. It's found once in Romans chapter 5. Seven times total in the book of Romans. And, and if you're a student of the Bible, you know that seven is the number of perfection or completion. 
And so God wants to give us a complete picture in the book of Romans what imputed righteousness really looks like. Galatians chapter 3 says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, when he put his faith in what God said about him and his circumstances, God counted, he credited his righteousness to Abraham. Not, not because Abraham was righteous, but because he just believed God's word. And because he believed him, God credited, he accounted his righteousness to Abraham. And so, and so you, with that thought in mind, let's get into the text. Number one, uh, the first point we'll talk about this morning is, we're going to look at Abraham, and he is the father of us all. He's the father of us all. Uh, you know, he's, it says in, in verses 16 and 17, that Abraham is the father of us all, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. Now, many of you know the Old Testament, you've read the Old Testament, you've studied it. Uh, listen, all families of the earth were going to be blessed through Abraham, not just the children of Israel alone, not just that one nation. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 says this, I will bless them that bless thee. And he's talking, this is God talking to Abraham. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, Abraham, in you, shall all families of the earth be what? Be blessed. And so it was God's intention that, that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations, Jewish and Gentile, because he is the father of all nations. Uh, Genesis 17 and verse 5 says that Abraham is the father of many nations, not just the nation of Israel. Genesis 17 and verse 5, Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Now listen, when we study this historically, we know that God had a covenant, he had a promise to Abraham that passed to his son Isaac and, and that passed to his son Jacob, and then to the 12 tribes of Israel. But I just want you to understand that Abraham fathered more than just the nation of Israel. And through Abraham, God intended the blessingness and the, and the righteousness of God and the blessings of God to be passed through. And, and certainly there's a covenant uh, part of that that we should talk about when we have more time. In Genesis chapter 22, God said that Abraham's seed is going to be like the sand of the sea and it's going to be like the stars of heaven. In verse 17, Genesis 22 and verse 17, many of you know this is the chapter where, where God uh, commands Abraham to take Isaac up to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. This is after Genesis chapter 15, where God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and multiply you. And, and so it was a trial of faith for Abraham. There's so much we could talk about but you have to go to lunch. So verse 17 says that in blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying. I will multiply thy seed. Listen, as the stars of heaven and as the sand, which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemy. And, and, and if you were to take the time, we don't have time, but if you were to take the time, God really is talking about two families there. There is a, his Abraham's seed. That's going to be like the sand of the sea. And if you were to take the time to study that out, Genesis 13, verse 16, maybe you write that down. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the physical lineage of, of Abraham, the Jews. And, 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 and it's the physical lineage that will, it, 
in the, in the end, inhabit this earth. You can also connect that to the kingdom of heaven, those of you that are students of the Bible. But God also says, I'm going to bless your seed as the stars of heaven. And, and that is the spiritual lineage, the church, the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, and, and, and so God gave Abraham a literal seed, nations, but that covenant was with one nation. It was with Isaac, then Jacob, and then the 12 tribes of Israel. But God also gave Abraham spiritual seed because he is the father of the faith. He is an example for us of God's imputed righteousness by faith alone. In other words, Abraham didn't work to have God's righteousness imputed unto him. He just believed God. And so he literally, you know, maybe in a weird way, he's like your spiritual great, 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 great something grandfather because he had faith and he's an example. God, God uses him in Romans chapter four to show us how to receive God's righteousness. It's only by faith. It's not by works. It's not by your church affiliation or your church membership. It's not by how much money you give, how many good deeds you do, are you keeping the law, you even being circumcised. It's only by faith. It's only by faith. And so Abraham is the father of us all. Number two is that we can learn from Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it says in verse 17, the last half of that verse, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, now the story is found in Genesis 15. And I think Cody alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. When, when God shows up to Abraham, can we turn there? you got a Bible. Just go back to Genesis 15. Lunch can wait. It's fine. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, you want to you catch the context of, of what's happening and the timing of what's happening. Genesis 15, verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> Actually, verse 1 to 6. I like to hear the pages turning. Or for those of you with cell phones, I like to hear. Okay. All right. I'm going to trust you're looking at the Bible, not on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, uh, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is not is mine. One born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord, there it is, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou shalt be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. This is, this is that first conversation where God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the, of the sky. Verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He just believed God. Listen, at this point, Abraham was an old man. And when you get to chapter 17, the Bible says that Abram is 99 years old and his wife is 90 years old. And, and, you know, chapter 16, he's got that little hiccup with Ishmael, right? And Hagar, and, and he tries to take uh, matters into his own hands and, and through his flesh accomplish what God was going to accomplish. 
But Abraham in the beginning believed God. God who is able to quicken the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Abraham's body, the next few verses tell us, was physically dead. It was incapable of reproducing. And the Bible says that Sarah, Abraham had a dead body in verse 19. Sarah had a dead womb. In other words, there's not going to be any life coming out of this. And yet God is able to quicken the dead. God is able to call those things which be not as though they were. In other words, when he saw Abraham, God saw his potential, not Abraham's limitations. He believed, Abraham believed God. And and listen, that dead body of Abraham, that unfruitful womb of Sarah, you know what that pictures for us practically? It pictures us in our sin and our lostness. Because the Bible says that in our sin, we are dead. We, Colossians says that, that we have a body of the sins of the flesh, and it's dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians tells us, in Ephesians 5 and verse 11, that when we were lost and without Christ, our life was full of the unfruitful works of darkness. Abraham and Sarah are really a great picture of you and I and our sin and our lostness without Christ. Dead and fruitless. But there is a God in heaven that is greater than your limitations. There's a God in heaven that is greater than your inability to do anything in your power and in your flesh. God is able to quicken, to make alive our dead, unfruitful body and to make us alive in him. That's the God that we serve, the God of the resurrection that can take death and bring about life. That's the God that we serve. That's the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not just a a, a message of hope, and it is a message of hope. It is a message of resurrection, being raised from death to life. That's That's what salvation really is. Because before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God is able, he is able in his power to quicken what is otherwise dead and fruitless. Abraham had to come to the place where he just believed God. You know, you may be at the place today where you say, you know what, Jay, you don't know what I've done. Well, I don't know what you've done. But I know that my sin is what made me dead before God Almighty, and your sin, whatever it is and however great it is, is just what makes you spiritually dead before God. But, but your sin is not the issue. Your deadness, your unfruitfulness is not the issue. God is able. God is able to quicken the dead to life. There's not a sinner on this planet. There's not a sinner on this planet that the blood of Jesus Christ is not capable of saving from their sin. There's not a sinner on this planet that is so dead and lost in their trespasses and sin that the blood of Jesus Christ is not able to quicken and make alive and make fruitful for his glory's sake a life that is a testimony to God Almighty. Listen, he is able. And this same God that's able to quicken the dead is also able to call things into being that aren't there yet. Because when he saw Abraham... He knew he had a dead body and his wife had a dead womb, but he said, I'm going to bless you so much that your children are going to be as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore, innumerable. God saw what he could do and God is able to call those things 
into existence. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is there's none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Oh, and let me tell you how I'm, I'm like no one else. I can declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You see, that's the God that we serve. Friends, I don't know if you've ever read all the way through the Bible, but God has already written the end of the book. He has already declared the things that, that aren't yet. He's declared them as they are already are. Do you understand that? God sees the end from the beginning. He is able to proclaim and know the end of this conversation, and, and only our God can do that. And so the Bible says that Abraham, listen to what it says in that verse, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. I mean, God gives him this promise. I'm going to multiply you, your children. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless your family. And Abraham is looking at his body, and he's looking at his wife's body, and he's looking at his circumstances, and, and he probably thought, well, we got no hope of that happening. We got no hope of that happening. Like, I hear what you're saying, God, but the odds are stacked against us. <laughs> we'll keep it PG for the children in the room, but I'm just saying. Literally, there was no hope. There was no hope. And the Bible says that Abraham, who against all hope, every reason not to believe God, how could God do this? Because I can list all the reasons why God can't accomplish what he's saying over my life. Against all hope, Abraham made a decision to believe in hope. Because our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of hope. Romans 15 and verse 13 says this, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, hope for the Christian is not just some, boy, I sure hope this happens. No, no, hope for the Christian is believing and trusting in what God has already said. Abraham's hope wasn't in, in some abstract thought or concept. His hope was, what, was, was absolutely in what God had promised. I'm going to do this, Abraham. And he believed the word of the Lord. You see, that, that's the key. When the odds are stacked against us, when, when we find ourselves in life situations where we would say, well, there's just no hope. You just don't understand the circumstances, the scenario. Listen, everything is against me. There's just no hope. Well, that, those are the times where God wants us to believe in hope. And, and, and specifically, that means believe in what God's already said. Believe in what God has said. You know, when you read through the Psalms, the psalmist was certainly someone who understood uh, what hope was. David wrote many of these. Let me just rattle off a few. Psalm uh, 31, verse 24, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Psalm 38 and verse 15, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. Psalm 39 and verse 7, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. 
It's in you, God. It's not in my circumstances, my inadequacies, my limitations. My hope is in what you have said. Psalm 71 and verse 5. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from thy, from, from thy youth. Psalm 130 and verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. There it is. And so... And so in Genesis 15, we read it, verse 5, God said, go ahead, Abraham, look up, try to count the stars if you can, so shall thy seed be. So shall thy seed be. It's going to happen. Verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. Church, we got to get to the place where we completely trust in the Lord. The first place that happens is the moment of salvation, where you trust in the Lord to save you from your sin. And, and, and for every one of us, we have a different story. Hopefully we have that testimony. Uh, it, it begins there. It certainly does not end there, which leads to the next point. The Bible says that Abraham was strong in his faith. Abraham was strong in his faith. Go back to verse 19. And being not weak in faith... He considered not his own body now dead. We talked about that when he was about 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he being God, what God had promised, God was able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. I think, I think as you break this passage down, there, there is a great practical takeaway for us uh, as you read these few verses, there are three levels of faith that I want to talk about this morning. Number one is weak faith. There's three levels of faith, what I'll call maturing faith. Uh, the Bible says that Abraham wasn't weak in faith, but the truth is that some of us are. We start with weak faith many times in our life, and our walk with God. You know, weak faith, you can have weak faith and still be saved. If you don't believe that, read Romans 14. Because Bible talks about our brethren that have that are weak in the faith. The Bible says that they're full of doubt. They're worried about what they can eat, what they can't eat, what day is holy, what day is not holy. They stumble at the faith of others. But I want to tell you something. A weak faith is enough to save you. Do you hear me? A weak faith is enough to save you. How much faith do you really need for, you to, for a man to get saved? How much faith is required for a man to get saved? Well, you just have to believe what God's Word says about the gospel, about your sin, about, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you could say it like this. Maybe you just need en enough faith, maybe as much faith as a grain of mustard seed. I mean, how much faith do you really need to get saved? You could be weak in faith. Romans 14, and we'll get there in 10 years when we actually get to Romans 14, but <laughs> when we get to Romans 14, the whole chapter is about those weak in the faith, that are saved, and those mature in the faith, and the right relationship they're to have with each other. Well, we'll, get, we'll save that for later. I do want you to know that you can't have weak faith and be saved because you just have enough, have enough faith to believe that Jesus Christ can save you from your sin. Well, the second thing that, that we can learn from this text is to have a walking faith. You know, if you're weak in the faith this morning, I want you to know and encourage you. Listen, we've all been there. We've all struggled. Man, we believe the gospel, but man... 
Even after you believe the gospel and you put your faith and trust in Christ, boy, you start questioning, man, did I say it right? Did I do it right? Did I really have the right intentions? I mean, I mean, man, your faith can waver <laughs> in those first few weeks, months, even years after salvation. God wants us to get to where we have a walking faith because the Bible says that he, Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. And, and I'll just give you a hint or, or maybe a help unbelief in our life causes staggering. Uh, it causes us to be unsteady. When you study the word stagger in the Bible, many times it's associated with someone who's drunk. And, and I'll give you a few references. Job chapter 12 and verse 25. The Bible says, they grope in the dark without light. He maketh them to stagger like what? Like a drunk man. Psalm 107 and verse 27, they reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunk man they're at their wits' end. And so, and so you see, man, listen, if you've ever seen that or, or personally you know, experienced that, maybe in your sinful days, uh, you understand what this, this is talking about. You know, walking faith doesn't stagger, which also means that a weak faith does. And I think probably in our Christian culture in the 21st century, the truth is that there's still a lot of people that stagger in their walk with God, instead of being fully balanced and stable. Uh, I know that's not you, so don't look at your neighbor to make them feel bad, but, but, but I'm just wanting to make the point. There are people in our Christian culture that are saved, but staggering. And man, they're on fire for the Lord this week, and they trust God with everything in their life this week. And then next week, it's like they fall off the wagon. And they, they can't find their way up. And, 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 I, and I want you to understand, that is a progression, man. God, God wants us to grow in our faith. There's still unbelief in a Christian's life at this point. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 18, that we're not to be drunk with wine, but we are to be filled with the Spirit, right? And if we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to believe God's Word. We're not going to doubt God's Word because the Spirit testifies of God's Word. In Mark chapter 9, there's a great story. We don't have time for it, but it just maybe the reference you can look up later. Mark 9, verses 23 to 24. It's the story of a, a father with a, a son that has a, a, a spirit, an evil spirit that's possessing him. And, and he took his son to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't cast out this evil spirit. And so, you know, this guy, you know, wasn't happy with the church, and so then he went to the main guy. He went to Jesus, right? Hey, why couldn't your guy, you started blaming Jesus. Hey, why couldn't your guys... Uh, do this and, and whatever. Verse 23 says this, Jesus said to him, to the Father, if thou can believest, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out with, and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my, my unbelief. Let's just be honest. We all, we all still have a faith that, that staggers sometimes. We, we all still have, man, I believe God, I believe his word, except in this circumstance, this situation. I still have unbelief about this, this particular area. I just don't fully trust God's word with my finances, with my marriage, with my children, with my ministry, with my job. Fill in the blank, whatever the blank is. God wants us to have a walking faith so that we don't stagger. When we fall, it hurts us. I worked in physical therapy for a long time, you know, 20 years. People that fall when they're walking usually break something. It's a hip, it's a shoulder, it's a wrist. 
God wants us to get stable on our feet of faith so that we don't fall and hurt ourselves or hurt other people. The last level of faith I think God gives us in this is, is the last point is unwavering faith. Because the Bible says that Abraham was fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. I mean, I mean, Abraham got to the point that he said, God's promises, uh, I believe them so much that I believe that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And, and that's the goal for all of us. God wants to move us to the point of unwavering faith, even when we don't understand, even when we look at the circumstances of our life and it doesn't make sense. Abraham's looking at his body and his wife's body and says, this does not make sense. I'm going to have children like the stars of heaven. Are you kidding me? Like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. And yet, he had enough faith to believe God. And listen, whatever that issue is in your life, in my life, sometimes it's tithing, sometimes it's serving God, sometimes it's being discipled, sometimes it's discipling other people. Whatever it is, it may not seem like it makes sense, but unwavering faith means that you're fully persuaded from God's word that that's the right thing to do. And the God that promised it is the God that's going to perform it. Do you understand that? It's not you and it's not me. It's the God who promised. He's the one responsible to perform it. So Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, many of you know this passage. The Bible says, for I am persuaded. Still in Romans. We'll get there in like two years. Romans 8, okay. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I believe that. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that when I don't feel like God still loves me today, I'm persuaded that he still does. When, when I don't feel like being a Christian today, that I still should. I'm persuaded that no matter what my inadequacies are, my failures are, my weaknesses, my struggles, whatever the devil throws at me and his whole army, there is nothing I am persuaded, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's a mature faith. That's where God wants to get every one of us. Paul, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 1 and verse 2, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, excuse me, yeah, chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, for the, for, for the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know whom I believed in. And he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. I can have an unwavering faith in God Almighty and in Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 you know, is the great chapter of faith. And I wish we had time this morning, but I told you four hours is what I need. But, but I'll, take, I'll take what you give me. Uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 13. It goes through all the people that lived by faith in Hebrews 11. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith. Listen, have, not having received the promises... These people had faith in God's promises, and they did not receive what he promised in this life. But the Bible says that they saw them afar off, and they were persuaded of them, and they embraced them, and they confessed 
that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You say, when we have unwavering faith, church, we're going to trust that God's promises are true, and we're going to trust that God is going to perform what He said He's going to perform, even if it doesn't happen in this life. That's unwavering faith. Because God's in it for the long haul, just eternity. We need to have an unwavering faith, and, and let's, let's wrap it up and put a bow on it right here. Number four. You know, Abraham's story, I want to encourage you, Abraham's story is written for us. It says in verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone. You know, God could have recorded that account in Genesis 15 just because, you know, well, we need to write this down. This is important history. No, God says that it wasn't written for his sake alone, that it was imputed unto him. In other words, there's a purpose beyond just Old Testament history for your Old Testament. It was for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. My point is, on this last point, is look, in other words, you don't need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. You don't need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament because the, just as the righteousness of God was imputed to Abraham by faith, so the righteousness of God can be imputed to you, friend, by your faith. As a matter of fact, that's the only way it can be imputed to you. You have to believe. You have to believe. Romans 15 and verse 4 says this, Whatsoever things were written aforetime, Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have what? Abraham, against all hope, believed in hope. God gave you an Old Testament for a reason. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That includes your Old Testament. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And I, I, and I just want to encourage you, look, Abraham's a guy. You know, sometimes we do character studies in our Bible study and things like that. Abraham's a guy. If you want to do a character study, go study Abraham. God thought so much of his faith that he centers him right in a whole chapter, Romans chapter 4, to show us how we can experience God's imputed righteousness, not, not because of the law, not because of circumcision, not because of works, only because of faith. God centers it right there in Romans chapter 4 for us so that we know how we can truly be saved. So you can close your Bibles. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, number one, number one, <laughs> are you saved? Have you exercised faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your sin? Minus and plus nothing. Christ and Christ alone. That's it. You can settle that issue today. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the truth is you can call out on him. You can just believe that, he, that what he did on the cross of Calvary is sufficient to save you from your sin. And he will. He will. You know, I think practically, though, for most of us in the room, I think many of us have the testimony that we are saved. Look, how's your faith? How's your faith this morning? Do you have a weak faith? If the answer to that is yes, don't be ashamed and don't be embarrassed. Realize that that's where it's at. And I need to grow a little bit. I need to have less unbelief in God's promises and more belief and more trust in God's promises. Let God move you from a weak faith 
to a walking faith. Let it let him move you to where you don't stagger. That man, this year is going to be different than last year. And, and man, you may have been saying that for 20 years. Man, next year is going to be better. Well, just trust God. Just believe his word. And ultimately, God wants to get you to where you have an unwavering faith so that you're fully persuaded. No matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what all the reasons are that God can't do what he said he's going to do, that you're fully persuaded he's going to do it anyways. And you're just going to trust him and you're just going to believe him. All right, let's bow our heads and we'll pray and dismiss. Father, I do love you. I thank you for God just being able to be back with the church family.